WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. Welcome to Out There. This is Joe McFall. And I'm Raymond Wiley. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. The fun just keeps going week after week here on Out There. We've got a great show for you guys. Does it ever stop, Raymond? Uh, Well, it stops for like six days in between each. And sometimes it stops for about three minutes when we take a break in between segments. I know, and they play some kind of like nails falling down stairs song. Something Something much less fun. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we've got we've got at least 57 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> another hour-long edition of Out There. Uh, before we get into today's topic, which I might say is one of the most interesting things we've done so far. Right, and uh, kind of right here in our own backyard. Before we get into that. Okay. Um, a few things. If you missed last week's show, if you weren't listening uh, while, while it was live on the air. Sasquatch in my subdivision. The podcast is up. Go check it out. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, it's www.wog.org slash podcast. Maybe you're listening to this as a podcast, in which case, thank you very much. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Spread the word. So anyway, um, we have any other announcements before we get started? Oh, yeah, we're out on uh, AOL Instant Messenger right now. Um, our screen name is Out There Radio. So if you want to drop us a line, talk to us about anything during the show today, you can check us out there. Also, um, if you want up-to-date information about the show, just go to our MySpace account at www.myspace.com slash outthereradio. And you don't have to be on MySpace to access that information, and it'll play a little promo of of uh, the show, <laughs> which uh, has some pretty cliche phrases in it. So Does it? You can... Uh, what was it? Bizarre undercurrents. Our intro of the says soul. that. Oh, does yeah. our intro say that? Uh, See, this is that. what happens when Raymond, at the last minute, when he's like, "Joe, we've got to go make a promo for the show. <laughs> we need some text in five minutes. <laughs> you have to write it." Thanks, Raymond. Hey, hey, I'm I'm not trying to be a slave driver. You're not trying to be a slave driver, but neither were the slave drivers. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. <laughs> you know, this always seems to happen the last couple of weeks. You just. Just shooting me down, man. Well, now that I have a soapbox. As soon as we're on the air, I have a soapbox to shoot you down. <laughs> Apparently, I don't hear. No, it listen. Other. Raymond and I are friends, and I don't. And I'm just, I'm just joshing you, as it were. <laughs> You're joshing. I'm joshing you. <laughs> yeah, I'm from the 30s. <laughs> uh, is that is that when they <laughs> said that? Because I guess so, I don't know. I don't remember that coming up till about 1998 or so. I'm, I'm just yeah. joshing you, man. I'm just joshing you. That's like saying my bad. If you ever <laughs> my if you ever hear me say my bad, that's it, dude. You can just just you're off the show if you yeah, say that. Uh, more than that, more <laughs> right. than that. Okay, that's it. All right. So anyway, we've got a really interesting topic today. Yeah, yeah, the Georgia Guidestone, America's Stonehenge. That's right, that's right. And um, I guess without further ado, Joe is going to tell you the the very interesting story about this. Uh, well, first of all, Raymond, I want to talk a little bit about you know what these things are: Georgia Guidestones, America's Stonehenge. What's the deal? Okay, first of all, um, seven miles north of Elberton, Georgia, which is about a half hour outside of Athens. Maybe some of our listeners have been there. Right on Highway seventy seven. Yeah, seven miles north on Highway seventy seven. I think it's at the seven seven ranch is the name of the place, but that's not even. Imp- really that crucial to the story there's these uh 19 foot tall solid granite stones and on them are inscribed in eight different languages languages these 10 commandments for the new age of reason right right they're they're meant to be sort of guides for humanity in some kind of new new age to come or in some distant future when things might not be quite as they are right and now let me add another adjective to describe these things mysterious 
mysterious. They're mysterious. Absolutely. Why are they there? Who put them there? What are they? Well, why don't you tell us all about it, Joe? All right. Well, like I said, they ha- there's these inscriptions in, um, I guess, actually eight different languages on the main stones. Then on this top capstone, they're in four different ancient languages. Are, are these these things are inscribed and on the the, the major stones is, are in Arabic, Chinese, English, Hebrew, Hindi, Russian, Spanish, and Swahili. I suppose that they're sort of intended. Well, we'll maybe we'll talk a little bit about like what they're intended for, but like you know why would why would someone put the money for to do this for one thing and and you know also why Elberton why why that's sort of the big question is why and and Raymond and I actually went to Elberton yesterday on an adventure the um. It's, we went out there. This is like 19 foot tall stones. They're really imposing. That was your impression, Raymond, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. They weigh 12 tons a piece. They're At about least. a foot and a half wide, and um, they're not perfectly smooth, but they're very well cut. And and they're each single slabs. And it must have just been a incredible undertaking. I mean, even at a modern quarry to take a, a slab of stone that big out, because you know a modern quarry is used to cutting stones for, you know, like tombstones yeah. and stuff like that. So they don't have to bring out these big giant chunks like this. This this what, was a this was a major undertaking. But here's the thing, there these things are not that old. No. 25 no. years old this yeah. year in er- fact. Erected March 22nd, 1980 on the, right. on the um spring equinox. Right. And ni- and so the story goes in 1979. A mysterious gentleman walked into the offices of Joe Finley, who was the president of the Elberton Granite Finishing Company at that time. The man claimed that his name was R.C. Christian, later, which later turned out to be a pseudonym. Absolutely. But keep that name in mind, R.C. Christian. Yeah, that's going to factor in later on in the story. Um, so he comes in and, se- and tells Joe Finley that he wants to build this monument. And he's not, he, he came to Elberton because Elberton is the self-proclaimed granite capital of the world. Yeah, there's like a, a bunch of quarries out there and a bunch of monument building companies. I mean, that's, the whole economy out in that town is based based on granite. So it's no it's no surprise that a, a man wanting to build such a giant granite monument would end up somewhere like yeah, Elberton. Yeah, he'd come to Elberton. They they and in fact Raymond and I we we uh, looked at we went by one of the quarries. We went by the pyramid quarry actually where the where the rocks were cut and. I didn't know there was so much granite under Georgia. There is. Absolutely. That yeah. core that was that was one of the most amazing parts of our trip yesterday out there was that um it was it's just like this scar in the earth, mm-hmm. just deep as it could be, you know. Yeah. So that was out at the pyramid quarry, which also sort of factors into our story later yes, on. The pyramid Interesting. quarry. So R.C. Christian walks into the office of Joe Fenley, president of Elberton Granite Fishing Company, says he wants these these monuments made. Joe Finley sends him over to Wyatt Martin, the president of the Granite City Bank. And the way, I guess the way it ends up being set up is R.C. Christian puts all this money, which people still don't know how much it costs, except for presumably Wyatt Martin or maybe Joe Finley, puts all this money into an escrow account. And then the local people take care of building and setting up these monuments and making them and all that stuff. And Still, to this day, no one knows the true identity of this R.C. Christian fellow. Right, and um, it's said that he only visited Elberton a couple of times, that he wasn't from the town, that he had a Midwestern accent, and, uh, you know, was very well-spoken and Mm well-dressed. And apparently he wanted to leave these guidestones as some kind of monument for posterity, as it were. Um, and and he, he actually was re- claimed to be representing a group of people. It wasn't just him. Right. Who, who as, as it says on the stones themselves, a group of men who seek the age of reason. Let me read what these Ten Commandments for the New Age. Right. These are, new age I, of mean, reason. I mean, what we've told so far is a fairly innocuous story until you actually read what it actually says on these guidestones. Listeners, I beg you to think about these things as I read them because some of these to me are just creepy. Let me let me read the first one. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. 2. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. 3. Unite humanity with a living new language. 4. Rule passion, faith, tradition and all things with tempered reason. 5. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. 
Six, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Seven, avoid, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Eight, balance personal rights with social duties. Nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking har harmony with the infinite. And ten, be not a cancer on the earth, leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. That's what it says. Yes. So the first one, uh, most people sort of take, a, I mean, a little bit of offense with maintaining the population under 500 million, million, considering there's about 6 billion people on the planet today. Right, right. And, you know, that I think that's the one thing about these guidestones that causes the most controversies is people get the idea, oh, well, this this group that must that had this thing built believes that there should be this culling back of of society. Yeah, yeah. It, well, actually, number two kind of gets me to guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. That's about, to me, that's about eugenics. That's like Nazi eugenics stuff. It, it, it has a ring of that to it, I would say. Definitely. Which is why I think that maybe this is a group of fascist hippies. Is that your... Uh, that's my own that's personal be your theory. Official we'll, talk, theory. We'll talk about that. It's fascist hippies. The whole conservation and like, you know, that's the hippie stuff. And then the fascism is all about eugenics and... Um, uh, genocide and also unite humanity with living new language that's basically like global homogeny like hom homogeneous global population all speaking the same language what's right. up with that a uh, very tower of babel-esque yeah definitely me. definitely so um godstones are really interesting and these 10 and these 10 commandments as it were as some people have called it are displayed in eight different languages, and then across the top, oh yeah, capstone. across the top they have ca a capstone that's in um, four ancient languages: Babil Babylonian cuneiform, Egyptian hieroglyphics, Sanskrit, and Classical Greek. And you know what the message on that on the cap says? Something about let these stones be a guide for an age of reason. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, so, let these stones be a guide for age of reason. Interesting stuff. Now. That's what's written on them. That That's interesting in and of itself. Now, there's also an interesting aspect of how it's laid in the ground and how it this monument kind of lines up to different astronomical um, events that go on during the year. Right. These were all specifications laid out by R.C. Christian himself. Right. And they've been reviewed by astronomers ever since and found to be eerily accurate for mm. an amateur astronomer to have laid out. Yeah. So, why don't you talk about a few of the different a few of the different astronomical aspects of this monument, Joe? Yeah. Well, first of all, the way it's laid out is there's a central a central stone and then four around it in sort of a cross shape. And then one on top is a capstone. Um the four large uh cross pieces are oriented to the limits of the moon's migration during the course of the year. Interesting. Interesting. In the center upward stone, there's an eye-level hole that's oriented um, on the North Star that you can look up through and see the North Star at any time of year. Also in the middle of the center stone is a slot that, with a hole that's cut through the granite, and that's oriented for the, summer, for the uh, spring and winter, or summer and winter solstices. In fact, the unveiling of the stones was done on the spring solstice in 1980. The spring equinox. Spring actually, equinox, yeah, right, sure. right. And also, apparently, the stones can act as sort of a big sundial. There's a hole straight through the top that at noon, the sun, on, at noon, any day of the year, the sun shines straight through, assuming it's not cloudy. Right, great. It's a neat little sunbeam. Yeah. So, um, very, very interesting that something would be set up along those lines, almost like like we talked about it, it's called America's Stonehenge for a reason. And, and a monument like Stonehenge shares a lot of these uh, astronomical characteristics. Now, I think, now that we've told you a little bit about the Guidestones and a little bit about the story behind them, we're going to cut over to an interview with Tom Robinson. We talked to him the other day. He's the um, head of the um, Elbert and Granite Association. Yeah, he was actually at the unveiling in 1980. Right. And knew Joe Finley, who apparently is at least the... Uh, the most interesting character surrounding this thing that isn't R.C. Christian. Right. That we can actually identify right. at this point. Joe Fenley, by the way, passed away earlier this year, so we weren't able to talk to him, although we would have loved to. Yes, we would have. So we're going to go ahead and get into the interview right now. So um, stay tuned to Out There. Were you with the Granite Association back when the monument was built? I was. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so... Like, have you spoken to any of the people that actually um, 
help erect the monument? Well, you know, this is a small town and a small industry, uh, and so uh, I was very familiar with Mr. Penley, who was the fabricator of the stones, and, and several of the people that worked on the on the project. Did he ever let on as to who the people who funded the project might have been? Of course, as the story is told, that. By Mr. Finley, that a gentleman came to town by the name of, and identified himself as R.C. Christian, mm -hmm. but uh, he soon uh, admitted that that was not his real name, but he would not reveal his name nor the name of any of the other persons helping to fund this project, and that has remained uh, a secret. Mr. Finley, you know, did know his name, and the only person who knew the real name and uh, where he was from, Mr. Christian, that is, uh, was the president of the bank. Uh, at the time it was called the Granite City Bank mm -hmm. and that fellow was named Wyatt Martin and Mr. Martin who was asked to be the, the escrow agent for the project said he wouldn't do it unless he was told who he was and where he came from and so he could at least uh, satisfy his board that this was a legitimate mm -hmm. project so Mr. Martin uh, is the only person that actually knows who Mr. Christian is and where he's from and he won't tell anyone? And he won't tell anybody. Is, is it something that he'll never tell anyone? I suspect he'll probably never tell anyone. So he'll never find out? Hey, I think he's been quoted as saying he'd take it to his grave. Yes, I think like that's that. right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, were you there when they did the unveiling ceremony? Yeah, I did. take the whole thing. Oh, wow. Okay, so was it all city officials? Was there anyone on hand officiating that supposedly represented this group that R.C. Christian no. was, was all local people? Oh, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, it was all local mayor, which happened to be Mr. Finley, but several other people from the community. Uh, Doug Bernard, who is the U.S. representative from this district, uh, uh, was there and, and spoke at the unveiling. Uh, but uh, it was all just local officials. Oh, Mr. Christian could have been there. No, several hundred people. Right. I wouldn't have known if he was there or not. I gotcha. I gotcha. So how did, how did the... Um, I guess, how did the townspeople first first take to this monument? Because I know it's, it's kind of, I, I mean, you well, get... first people thought it was just a promotional uh, stunt done by the industry. And particularly with Joe, he's very outgoing, well, was, uh, he passed away in May, but he was all the time, you know, cutting food or something, just a, you know, a fun-loving person. And uh, so a lot of people at first thought this was just a publicity stunt for Joe and, and the industry. And then as people begin to read the messages on the stones, and uh, I mean, to say, well, you know, that's a little more serious than what yeah. might be just for a joke. It seems more elaborate than what a joke like. Yeah, and it's certainly very expensive. Nobody, again, Joe never told anybody what he got for the, or, you know, for correcting the thing, but uh, he would always say, not enough. Mm. <laughs> uh, Any idea about how much it costs to do it? I wouldn't have any. I mean, the pieces are so big that you have to, you know, you had to quarry those special. So by quarrying, trying to quarry those pieces, you can't be working on your regular stuff. So um, I'm, I, I would have no idea what it cost. It'd be a lot. In the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. yeah. And today, of course, probably a lot more than that, I'm yeah. sure. So. Well, you know, you had to get somebody, you had to find somebody who could do all these translations for him. You know, you're talking back in 1980, you know, I guess you didn't have the, you know, where you could type it in on your PC right, and right. have it instantly uh -huh. translated. Right. So uh, he went through a great deal of trouble to locate some people, educated people, with the knowledge of the different languages so they could make those translations accurately. Uh, so he, so Mr. Christian didn't supply the translation? He, he provided the English uh, okay. and, and specified the eight, you know, the yeah. eight languages that he wanted to use. So Mr. Finley was really involved in many aspects of this project, finding sure. the translation, finding the, he helped find the site too. Well, he, he, um, he was talking about it with this person that he ended up buying it from, his name uh, is Wayne Mullinex, who owned a farm out, well, well you know, I guess he'd been there, but yeah, the Double Seven Farms, uh, and uh, so this Mr. Mullinex is actually the one who met Mr. Wyatt Martin, because Wyatt knew where Mullinex's farm was, and he was on top of a little hill out there, mm -hmm. so uh, really Mr. Martin and Mr. Mullinex were the ones who showed the site to Mr. Christian, and uh, when he saw it, he said immediately, this is where I want, and he said he bought five acres of land from Mr. Mullinex. Mm -hmm.
for extraterrestrials <laughs> so yeah we heard, we heard a little bit about um, some controversy that had been stirred up I guess in the past year by a fellow named John Connor saying that they should be destroyed or something we read an article in the Canada, Canada Free Press I think there was an article that ran in the Albertan Star earlier this year about that and yeah, we didn't find anything particularly uh, offensive. offensive about it, you know. Well, you know, like to me, the biggest controversy to me is the one that says maintain humanity under 500 million. Right, right. Now, then he uh, is saying, well, how are you going to do that? Who's going to go and who gets to stay? Exactly, yeah. uh, You know, we, we're talking about genocide here where we eliminate all the old folks or, mm -hmm. or you know, whatever. Right, right. Uh, but others, you know, certainly leave room for nature. And, you know, who can argue with that really right. and uh, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Sure. We all like to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some things there that, you know, make some sense. But, uh. So, um, does, I mean, does that controversy extend to the townspeople as well? I mean, no. is the religious community here pretty supportive of that? Uh, they're not supportive, but they, they don't take, you know, they don't no, hate it or anything. Yeah. 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 Stay away from it, you know, or anything right. like that. It's, just, uh, it's become just another granite attraction I think you know the people just look at it that way it's, it's, um, the story is still a mystery mm -hmm. and uh, that just makes people wonder that much more why would somebody do this and leave it out here in the middle of nowhere um, but uh, that's all part of the part of the mystique yeah, exactly. I guess it always will be a mystery yeah yeah all right, well, well thank you thank you Mr. Robin. Robin. nice to meet you thank Good you, to meet you so much. Yep. thanks for talking to us Okay, we're back here on Out There. Um, that was our interview with Tom Robinson, head of the uh, Elberton Granite Association. Uh, he was a nice guy. Yeah, he, Tom. he was a nice guy. We, as you probably noticed, we got that one on like a little voice recorder. So Actually, it was recorded high quality machine, but we were inside of a inside of a, a tin can. Yes, inside apparently. of a submarine or yeah. something. But yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, if you want to get like a higher quality cut of that, um, check out our podcast. It'll probably go up in the next day or two, and I'll be able to hopefully clean that up a little bit more anyway. We're going to take so. a quick break. When we come back, more exciting stuff about the Georgia Guidestones. We're going to be talking about crazy Christians, crazy Rosicrucians, and crazy pagans. pagans. Yes. So, or maybe uh, not so crazy pagans. Right. <laughs> so stay tuned to Out There here on WUOG. You're listening to Out There with Raymond and Joe. We'll be right back. We are back. You're listening to Out There live from our secret lair on the fifth floor Memorial Hall at the University of Georgia campus. You've been waiting to say that for like days. <laughs> I've been waiting for weeks, man. I always forget, too. I just want to have a secret lair. Is that so wrong? Oh, that's not wrong at all. In fact, um, speaking of secret lairs, <laughs> uh oh, here we go. Uh, yeah, I built a website this week for uh, my computer <laughs> science class. It's a festival of supervillains. Yeah, and it has some yeah. layer layer information. And I'm with you. I, I think everybody should have a good layer. www.arches.uga.edu slash squiggly line G.R. Wiley. Festival of Supervillains. <laughs> Raymond's personal website. Yeah. I, I know, right? I can't believe he's railroading his own thing in here on... The UGA <laughs> Wait, what is that? <laughs> Travis, our producer, has pulled up some crazy website that apparently is supposed to be Raymond's website. It's, what's it say? A boy and his Miss Pac-Man? That's not my website, <laughs> dude. We're so off topic. Today. I know. Let's get back to topic. Raymond, go ahead. What do we got? Oh, okay. What are we talking about today? Georgia uh, Guidestones. Georgia Guidestones. So, um, Mr. Robinson was there the day they were unveiled, yep. and he talks about how the townspeople didn't quite know what to, to make of these things, and especially the message on them. Now, now check this out. We've also talked to someone else who was there the day of. We actually found a reference to... Um, to Jody, who is who is who we're going to have the interview with here in a second. Jody, um, we found a reference to her in a book called Weird Georgia. If you want to go and check that out, um, it it has its actual final story is about the guidestones and just the story we've kind of told you today. And Jody is a um, Atlanta area kind of a, I guess you'd call her a pagan or a neo pagan. She's uh, 
practitioner of sort of an earth-based, nature-based religion. And her and her husband, John, went out the day of um, the unveiling and did their own sort of kind of uh, pagan consecration ritual to kind of um, prepare the space, as it were. It wasn't in any official capacity, and she's as, she's kind of as as mystified as we are as to who actually built the thing. But She's got some right, theories, though. Right. But it's interesting that from the very beginning, people have been able to see that there's some sort of like mystical, spiritual significance to the message on the stones and also to the way that they're laid out in an astronomical kind of way. So we're going to um, go on and get to our interview with Jody, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her experiences with the Georgia Guidestones. We went out to the Guidestones yesterday. I had never been there. That was What an interesting place that, it would, that they would build something like that out in Elberton for ostensibly for no reason. I mean, I don't know. Or for the age of reason, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, not exactly what you expect to see uh, sprouting out of a, a cow pasture. Yeah. What's your take on why it's there? Um, well, you know, we did a lot of searching around back in those days. And uh, really, as far as we could tell, the only... Uh, geographical reason for placing it where it was was uh, because according to the Cherokee Indians it was the center of the world, the navel of the world where the people came from or very close to the spot that they called that hmm. so um, tell us about how you first found out about the Guidestones which I believe John was telling us uh, it was just like the day before they were they were unveiled. Tell us about your experience going out there the day before, or and then also kind of consecrating the site the day of. Okay, well, um, I was the spooky one that worked at Creative Loafing, <laughs> <laughs> and if anything weird or odd or you know, like this is at the very beginning of the quote New Age, mm-hmm. you know, came up then. I they told me about it. Somebody told me about it. So then I went to Boyd Lewis, who uh, used to report there and also did some work with radio stations and everything. And uh, <clears throat> we talked about this, and he said, "Well, that that sounds pretty interesting." So he did a little research into it, and he was just like puzzled by it. Why would somebody want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars? Um, you know, setting this thing up in the middle of nowhere. So uh, we talked about it a lot ahead of time, and then the day before it was supposed to be unveiled, we drove out there, and uh, we took a look at it, and took a look at, you know, uh, what it had to say, and, you know, because none of that was stuff you could get available ahead of time. And we looked at it in the middle of the swampy cow pasture, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, and went, huh, well, this is very interesting. So <clears throat> we've always kind of speculated that the, uh, the R.C. Christians stood for Rosicrucians. That's what Raymond and I had talked about as a possibility. Right, that's, that's my theory 100% on yeah. this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. but um, not... It's a very active, high-level Rosicrucian, as in, like, the people that run the whole thing out of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not just the, uh, well, I've done my course paperwork and paid my dues level, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. So these were kind of, you, you think that maybe this guy was sort of a, a higher up. I mean, the story goes that he, he showed up one day, he was well-dressed and well-spoken, which I imagine you don't find very often in Elberton, but especially around you know late 70s. Um, and he's kind of showed up out of nowhere, appeared once or twice after that, and never no one had ever heard from him again. Right. That's exactly right. Um, and uh, Boyd did talk to him on the telephone. Really? Uh, he said that he was, you know, uh, I, I, I don't have an exact quote of what he told him, but he said, you know, I have a lot of money and I want to leave something for posterity and this was the best thing I could think of. 
That's very, very interesting. I had never, in our researches, we haven't heard anything before about this interview with um, Boyd. Wow. Oh, there's um, eight pages of uh, Boyd's story in Brown's Guide to Georgia. And uh, it's the April edition, I believe. Because, see, this thing was dedicated on uh, the spring equinox. That's what, yeah, you know, Raymond and I were there yesterday. We saw that it was, the date was March 22nd, 1980, the, for the unveiling. Right. Yeah. Right. And so uh, we went early in the morning at sunrise, you know, and I just, uh, I just, uh, just basically with my husband, we did a, a pagan prayer, you know, to mm-hmm. the four elements and to the elements of spirit and asked that this be, you know, uh, used as a symbol for good and for the growth of humanity and, you know, um, that if it channels earth energies, may it channel good and healing earth energies, you know. And uh, it was real interesting because then we we left and went and had some breakfast and came back dressed in our normal street clothes. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, we watched the other people go through their hoopla, and they were all dressed up in their cowboy boots and their string ties. Yeah. And, you know, none of them had any idea who John and I <laughs> mm-hmm. were. Um, Did they seem to be uncomfortable or kind of confused about the nature of the monument? Yeah, they were. Um, they just didn't know what to make of it. That's they figured that the cows would have fun scratching their backs on it. <laughs> and, you know, it's always good when somebody brings work to town. It seems to me that that might be one of the only motivations for the city of Elberton and, like, the Elberton Granite Association to actually go through with it. Is, yeah, Joe Findlay. Yeah, is because it brought some money to the town upon its initial building and continues, apparently, to bring money to the town for you know, tourist traffic and stuff like that. Right. Um, well, yeah, and it doesn't doesn't say anything so bad. Well, there were a few things on there that I found kind of insidious. I don't know. Like, the first one talks about keeping the human population on the planet to 500 million, 500 million or less, which... I mean, as a, as a concept isn't necessarily something to, you know, to be afraid of except that we have six billion people on this planet as it stands now. So to, for something like that to happen, there would have to be some sort of huge cata- catastrophe or or something. Right, but, but you know, Joe, I think part of the like reason this was written is in case something like that ever does happen, that there would be like this yeah. something left behind. You know? Yeah, that's, that's my only sort of way to justify <laughs> saying something like that. Or it could be more metaphorical. Yeah. That's absolutely... That's absolutely right, but certainly the thing that struck me about, you know, we talked about this before, Joe, one of the things that struck me about the um, the message of the Guidestones is its message is kind of farther out there than what I would ever expect from, you know, random Granite Association in right, Elberton. That, that's why I don't think it's just a hoax put on by the Elberton Granite Association to bring money in. I don't think that's the case at all. Like, I mean... Be, just because of that, because... No, and because of some of the languages that are on there. Exactly, it, yeah. It takes people within to great scholarly libraries to be able to get that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just something you can go down to your DeKalb, you know, or your Athens library yeah. there and say, now I want to know. <laughs> you know, we talked to... Uh, t- yesterday we talked to Tom Robinson, who is the... He's, I guess, the head of the... Elberton Grand Association, he had said that R.C. Christian had only supplied an English transa- translation. Actually, Mr. Finley had to go out, and I guess she used part of the money earmarked for this project yeah. to pay translators or to find translators. Right. R.C. Christian specified what languages he wanted it in mm-hmm. and and left it to the other people to, to translate it. Which you would think, and, and so no, for... That's not my recollection. Hmm. Okay. That's not my recollection. And um, I bought all the little souvenir books at the time. I'd have to go back and double-check it, but uh, uh, huh. I think he gave them all of that. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. 
Have you been out to the monument any time since, or have you noticed any sort of... I mean, I know that you are kind of part of a, a pagan community in Atlanta. Do they find the site typically a, a, a place to go and be active or to go and have rituals from time to time, for example? Well, we don't really go up there and, and do rituals up there because it's still, you know, it, it's a little clump of public property in the middle of somebody's private property. Right, yeah. right. Which makes it kind of difficult. Um, although, you know, I have been known occasionally to yell, field trip! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll go on a field trip and, you know, get people to sense the energies and um, like that. So, you know, while I have not been back in, in great depth, uh, we have made like an afternoon of it in the woods up in that area and gone around to some of the other places that are around there. There's an awful lot of um, sevens and seventeens and things like that that intersect and we're still kind of trying to figure out why all of that geometry had any part to play in this. Raymond and I had talked about this on our way back because um, the the monument itself is seven miles north of Elberton on Highway 77 on, I guess the name of the ranch is like... The Double Seven Ranch. Double Seven Ranch. Right. And um, I don't know if there's, if there's any other uh, significance to, for instance, like the longitude and latitude of the, of the monument or... Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of other sevens in there, too. I think we had a... A list of, uh, I'd have to go be at home, I could check it, but mm -hmm. here I don't have it. I think we had about six or seven other <laughs> <laughs> um, co coincidences with seven. And uh, uh, one of them is that the, the navel of the world was parked at 777. Which goes back to that Cherokee mission. 7.77 miles from Elberton. <laughs> so, yeah, it goes back to that. And it's just, um, you know, it's, it's a mystery is what it is. Now, the whole reason it may be is that this was the one guy that was willing to sell his bit of property. And, you know, they didn't want to have to move the rocks too far from Elberton. Even still, coincidences like that, I mean, as you, as Jody, you, you might believe this as well, coincidences like that don't necessarily, even if that kind of thing is decided by someone randomly, the fact that there's so much involved and so, and so many details that involve uh, that... You know, a lot like, of synchronicity. Yeah, there. there's just a lot of synchronicity regardless of whether there was any intentionality behind it, you know? Well, I, I agree with you there. There's too much going on for me to believe it was a mere random act of nature, but, uh, you know, you never know. You've got to keep your mind open that that's a possibility, too. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jody. Well, um, thank you for spending time with us today and interviewing yeah, with so us. Much. We we really hope you um, you get to feeling better here in the next couple of weeks, and um, we're glad that you were able to make some time for us today. Was there anything else that you wanted to tell us about um, the Georgia Guidestones that you might have found out over the years before we go? Um, well, it does uh, function like a little mini calendar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, if there is some sort of um, big apocalypse or world blow-up or whatever and these are left standing, you can always use it as a as a gnomon and as a way of um, charting uh, the stars and the, and the moon. Well, thank you so much. Um, and we saw some very interesting stuff out there in regards to that yesterday as well. Yeah. So, anyway, um, thank you very much, Jody, and thanks for being a host or a guest here on Out There. And maybe we'll talk to you again sometime soon in the future. Alrighty. Thanks, Jody. Have a good day. Thanks again to Jody for talking to us about the Georgia Guidestones. Absolutely. I mean, it, I think it was great that we were able to find two guests that were actually there the day 25 years ago when it was founded. And, I mean, that's something we didn't get in even many of the sources that we looked at. So yeah. we, we felt particularly good about the whole thing and our, and our trip to Elberton. So... Anyway, let's let's talk a little bit about, in the time that we, we have remaining, about just different people's theories about 
who built it or who not who built it but who had it commissioned what kind of people and you know what what their motive was Jody had mentioned the the possibility and a lot of people seem to think this that the RC and RC Christian uh, might stand for Rosicrucian well, yeah absolutely and um that's that is personally my theory on the whole thing RC Christian could be a reference to Christian Rosencrantz, the uh, mythological figure that is central to the Rosicrucian movement. And I guess I'll just take a minute to kind of explain to you guys out there what Rosicrucianism is all about. The movement of Rosicrucianism grew out of a German movement in the early 17th century. It grew out a lot. Grew out of a lot of the um, Hermetic and uh, I guess occult thought that was going on during the Renaissance. Well, that kind of thought grew into uh, these Rosicrucian myths, and they started around these manifestos that came out in 16, I believe, 1608 and 1609, and they're called the um, the Fama Fraternus, the famous fraternity, um, the... Uh, greater restitution of the whole wide world or the greater restoration or what reformation right because it, it greater reformation of the whole wide world and then the third one is called um the chemical wedding of christian rosencrantz which i guess is where uh, my chemical romance probably got their name mm-hmm. too so these the, rosicrucians are very interesting because they believe in this age of like just like it says on the godstones an age of reason and an age of enlightenment um a lot of their literature is very close to the things you'll read like thomas More's utopia and kind of utopian novels they came out around the same era and the rosicrucians as a group well, you, we don't even really know if they existed. It may have just been somebody that wrote these pamphlets as kind of a prank. But, like, this whole set of literature grew up around them. And those ideas, a hundred years later, would morph and kind of evolve into what we now know as Freemasonry. God forbid a show goes by where we don't talk about Freemasonry. Yeah, right. It always ties back in. The local Masonic temple, by the way, is just about three or four miles up the road from the Guidestones themselves. On we, Highway 77. On, <laughs> 77. Now, the... Another theory is that R.C. Christian, well, he says that he gave that pseudonym because he's a Christian. And uh, it's possible that the group was a group of, like, hard right-wing Christian patriots. I guess it's possible. But if you, but if you look at the, at the language on the stones, I wouldn't say that ultra-right-wing Christians would be in favor of this sort of globalist ideal yeah. that's purported on the stones. And, and it, is, they are, it is sort of too conservation-oriented. Right. What's what's the very last one? Um, oh, leave yeah. room for nature. Leave yes, room for nature. Exactly. And that just doesn't sound too much like people who are trying to spread their religion. I mean, if they were Christian patriots, why isn't Jesus mentioned right. at all? You'd think that uh, the old boy would get his name on those stones somewhere maybe, if that were the case. Maybe Jesus isn't, isn't mentioned because R.C. Christian and his cohort was a group of uh, their agents of the satanic New World Order. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's what uh, many people have, have purported as the theory. A lot of people have gone so far as to call the Georgia Guidestones the Ten Commandments of Satan <laughs> or, the, right. or the Ten Commandments of the New Age or the Ten Commandments of the New World Order or the Ten Commandments of the Antichrist. So you'll find a lot of like Christian conspiracy theorists who, you know, they're they're looking for signs of the of the coming of the Antichrist because they kind of fits into their scheme for the end of the world. And they think that the kind of globalist overtones on this monument are a monument, in fact, to this new world order. In I'm fact, so- it's it stirred up a lot of controversy, even in even in Elberton. Um, we read uh, an article that came out about the Guidestones fairly recently, first in the Ca- Canadian Free Press, and then we also found an article in the local Elberton paper about this, about a uh, a Christian conspiracy theorist named John Connor. A pseudonym. Qu- Quote-unquote John Connor, who has written this book this year called The Resistance Manifesto, and it, it basically puts out all of his own sort of... Cr- it's a Christian slant on very kind of normal conspiracy theory, kind of New World Order, police state kind of stuff. I mean, it's stuff that you can hear and get With in the, other forms, but this guy puts this definite Christian tinge yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, he, ta- he puts a healthy dose of Satanism into the whole New World Order, classic New World Order model of conspiracy. Exactly. And so, you know, he's gone on record as saying that they should be, like, torn down and smashed into a million right. pieces. And even said that he was going to go down to Elberton to, I guess, protest or make some kind 
out a speech or statement in front of them or something declaring them as evil or whatever. That never came through. Um, we actually uh, spoke to Gary Jones, who's the editor of the Elberton Star, the paper that printed the article that one of the articles that we were just talking about. We we asked him about his experiences with John Connor, and I mean, go figure. The guy was asking about like uh, how far it was away from the airport and like how far away it was from the CNN Center and all this stuff, like as if he was like just fishing for press for his book. So uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it doesn't sound like too much of a Christian patriot to me, you know. <laughs> so who was it? Rosa Christians. Christian patriots, agent of satanic new world order, or fascist hippies? I don't know, man. Maybe a, a little bit of all of them. Yeah, could be. So, I mean, some people have claimed that it was uh, cooked up by the, you know, Granite Association there in Elberton. But, you know, we've talked about how we don't we don't really think that that's the case. We think that there's some sort of genuine uh, true believer, I guess, behind the scenes funding this project somewhere. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about it. And Joe Finley, we found out, was a Freemason. He was a Freemason. Like one of the guys that was in closest contact with this R.C. Christian fellow. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, um, we, we heard some, some rather differing stories about his, his the time he would spend there in Elberton. Uh, sometimes it's described as if he only came into town once or twice, and then other times it's said that he, you know, he came into town on multiple occasions. Had lunch with Joe Finley sometimes. Right, and, and, his, and his buddies. And we wonder whether it wasn't like the, you know, the Masonic Lodge in Elberton having lunch with this R.C. Christian guy. Now, now, now that that doesn't mean that I think that like the Grand Lodge of Georgia or the Elberton Masonic Lodge like built this monument or anything, right. but you can certainly see how you know since Rosicrucianism is kind of the granddaddy of Freemasonry, how you know maybe some random small lodge somewhere decided they wanted to erect this monument, you know, went to Elberton and you know got help from some of their Masonic brothers because you they know, had a, they had a bake sale to raise funds <laughs> and rode around in the little cars. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think um, we're about out of time, Raymond. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's so much more we could talk about, about this. I mean, I don't know. We, I really feel like we've dug deeper than a lot of the things you can read on the internet about this. Yeah. So, maybe we'll have updates on future episodes. So keep listening to out there. Yeah. Thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Raymond Wiley. I'm Joe McFall. Thanks. You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG 90.5 FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com.